This week's episode of the Listen In Podcast is brought to you by you, the valued listener. This is our weekly annoying plug to give us a review on iTunes, give us a shout out on social media, or tell a friend just good old-fashioned word of mouth. Nothing wrong with that. You can talk to a person. Are we so connected these days that we can't talk? All right, let's start the show. Listening podcast episode forty one. We are really getting into the thick of fall now, Jake. The air is a little crisper. It's getting dark a little earlier. We're back to football. As if you listen to the after show, there's a lot of talk about back to football. But we're getting into the the meaty part of the fall right now. We got some big albums coming out. What do you think? We are. We're getting right into fall. I saw on the news today. That will have the coldest night of, of uh, the fall so far Ooh, tonight, which I can't wait yes, for. Yes. I got really excited. Yes, I was over uh, visiting my mom and grandmother. I don't think they understood why I was excited as I was. I saw that it will dip into the 40s tonight. Oh, I was like, oh yes, 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 wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> like t- t- tapping my fingers I'm together gonna, like hey, Mr. I'm, Burns. I, I'm going to take my air conditioner out of my window soon. Yeah, just leave the window open. No, leave it it's open. Nice and maybe co- it's probably colder than your, your air conditioner at this point. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. But, but we are in the thick of fall, Sean, and that means it's it's fall albums time. So in a couple weeks, when we get to the actual middle of the fall, we were thinking of doing an episode talking about our favorite fall albums, yes. our favorite fall songs. Uh, but for tonight, for a part of the episode, we wanted to talk about a specific album that just came out. That's right. So this one that came out, I in, I mean, if you want to talk about fall albums and kind of tone and feel this is one that i think falls in with this and this is nick cave and the bad seeds came out with a new album and it is called skeleton tree skeleton tree yeah yep i can um, see you looking for it yeah I can see you searching. I, I was like wait a minute i want to make sure what this is actually i didn't mean called. to jump I, knew, in. I like knew what it was but i wanted to make sure uh yeah so they came out with a new album this past friday it's been yep. out for almost a week now um and really, the the context of this album is actually really sad. So, and it's why it's making so many waves. Yeah, yeah. So Nick Cave's son, uh, he was 15 years old. He ended up dying back when this album was in the initial stages of recording. So apparently, what he was on LSD. Yeah, the story is he was on LSD. I think he was like hiking or something with I think friends. What I do know is that he was on LSD and he fell from a cliff and died. Yeah. Um. So obviously. Any parent who has a 15-year-old or like a preteen or any kid at all can probably relate to the unbelievable grief that I'm sure Nick Cave and I, I, does he have a wife? He's a wife, yeah. That they must have gone through yeah. during this period. So the interesting thing about it is he was working on an album before it happened and then continued to work on an album after it happened. Uh, and that's what this album, Skeleton Tree, is. And so... Um, the other little nuance to this whole story is there was a movie that was made in the immediate aftermath about Nick Cave. It was released, I guess it was only shown once. Like they literally, it was a one-time showing thing and they might re-release it. It's called One More Time with Feeling, which is actually a lyric from one of the... Is that it from is. Magneto? It's from Magneto, yeah. The fifth track. Um, and it's a documentary about Nick Cave making this album... I'd actually love to see it, mm. and it's in the aftermath of his son's death. The, the interesting thing about the movie is, I guess it's shot all in black and white. It's in three D. Really? Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. That seems like uh, an over the top feature for a movie like this. Yeah, about like it's not. It's this isn't thing. like a Pixar Disney movie. This is a 
like about someone dying and like the art that comes out of it. Right. It's not an action movie. So, and that's why I'm actually inclined to think it might be an interesting artistic move because I listened to uh, All Songs Considered, the NPR podcast, and they interviewed the um, the director of the movie, and he was talking about how he just artistically finds it interesting to like to see people's faces and mannerisms in 3D. He, hmm. he was just talking about how he thinks. It, it brings it to life a little more. I actually could see it being really interesting to see how 3D is used in a way that's not over the top. Yeah. Not, like, because I feel like 3D has been stolen by the sort of brash action movies of the yeah. world. And it's an interesting artistic way to take the sort of the form back. It is. 3D now, though, I feel like just has a stigma around it. Totally it totally does. And it's like this goofy thing where you go to the theater, you get these glasses, it's always, people are always laughing about it. You and I had so many experiences of actually working at the movie theater, handing out the glasses, and seeing people's giddy, weird, dumb reactions to it. Like, oh, look at this. We, I don't know if the listeners know this about us, that we, a lot of our formative friendship years were uh, built working at a movie theater. That's right. Where Sean had been working for a year, got me a job. We were already friends from through high school, but we became, our friendship was further solidified was in our time. For, it was forged in... in Iron and Blood at Cinemagic. Big shout to Cinemagic Stadium Theaters Hooks at New Hampshire. That's right. That's right. Big friends. They probably don't want to be like mentioned on this the business on this podcast. Yeah, they're not going to ever know. They can fuck off. Uh, no, great place to work. Big I had a lot of, the of pod. fun. I had a lot of fun. Big friend of the pod, Ziacorp. So we've 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 fallen off off the sort we, of we have anyway. Oh, I almost said we fell off the ledge. That's not, that's a little. <laughs> but so here's the interesting thing. So the context surrounding this album is really where I want to start here because I have a question for you. So we've both listened to it a lot and I think we both really like it. Do you think though that the the slew of amazing reviews that's happening is that sort of the posthumous effect? 100%. Okay. It 100% think- is because I don't think I actually end up listening to this album if his son didn't die. Right, and it's well it, it's a, it sounds morbid and it sounds like we're making light of it, but it's actually I think true Take, for example, The Dark Knight. When that came out in 2008, I think it was probably bolstered by some of the macabre thinking around the fact that Heath Ledger died because he played the Joker and how Mm -hmm. did that role affect him. Mm -hmm. I think it actually lent more credence to that role and how dark that character is. And so with this album, it does seem that it's sort of odd that some critics are now all about Nick Cave. Like Pitchfork, for example, they've... They gave this album a nine. The previous Nick Cave album was given like an eight by them. They've never been. It doesn't seem like I've looked through some of the history. They've never been crazy about Nick Cave. He's a guy who I think is generally critically acclaimed throughout the years. Yeah. Um. But he has a long history. He's made music for a long That's time. That's the thing. So I, I mean, you and I, we've never listened to another Nick Cave album before, so we can't really speak to if this is better or worse than any of those. Right. Maybe this is just the best Nick Cave album, given the fact that like this sad situation has brought out the best in him as a songwriter, or just the fact that it is kind of influencing how you hear it. Yeah, you know, maybe that nine point zero review from Pitchfork is actually not just. Um, because of the fact that his son died. Maybe it is his best album so far. We don't know. True. I think it does end up getting bolstered, and that's not me trying to be like a jerk no, about think, it. I think that's just human nature. It's just natural, and I think that 
it's a very, very good album. I've actually personally been really enjo- enjoying it, and I'm glad that I've gotten into it because of all the hype that's surrounding it, because I'm finding that I actually like Nick Cave, and I like this album, and I'd be interested in hearing some other stuff. But I think it's hard to deny that if this album came out without any of that context, I just don't think it would get quite the same critical sort of bolstering. Like I said, I don't even know that I listen. Because, for one, it wouldn't have as high of reviews as it does now. And then, two, there's not that interest of, like, ooh, what did this do to him as a songwriter? Like, what is he singing about here? So I probably wouldn't listen. And that's what makes it difficult, is it's sort of a chicken and egg situation. Because it's hard... I mean... That context is there. There's no. It, it's sort of a moot argument to say like, well, what if it wasn't there? Yeah. It just is. Right. So we have to kind of take it for what it is. So I understand that it's kind of a weird point to make, but I feel like it is inherently sort of true. That being said, the album itself. How do you feel about it? What are your thoughts? I really, really like it. Um, as someone who had only heard some Nick Cave songs here and there, I knew generally what his vibe was all about. It's kind of. Sparse instrumentation um, with just some like darker, more abstract lyrics that are kind of about mortality and and death and and things like that. So I knew generally what to expect. Um, I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I actually have, though. I'm in the same boat. I've been enjoying it a lot, and I listened because of all the hype, but I've been like sticking around and listening more because I really genuinely enjoy a lot of these songs. I'm getting an interesting vibe from his voice. I keep hearing, obviously, he would have inspired this person, but Matt Berninger in The National. A couple of these songs, like Rings of Saturn specifically, mm-hmm. I can just hear the way he sings, like the tones in his voice, the way he emphasizes words. I can totally see that as having influenced uh, Matt Berninger from The National. Yeah, and I think that has been a comparison that's been made a lot between... Matt Berninger and, and Nick Cave. Um, I want to say that that Matt Berninger from The National has cited Nick Cave as an influence or at least someone who he respects or, or also listens to. Don't quote me on that, though. But I, I, I there's definitely some similarities there. I also want to give a shout to um, Nick Cave's lyricism on this album and just the overall tone. So you already mentioned it, the um, instruments being sort of sparse it, it's almost like an atmospheric album in a lot of ways yeah. because a lot of the sounds are these droning synths mm-hmm. very light guitars light sort of organic instrumentation but a lot of what where the sounds are driven is sort of like feedback loops almost or like I said drones or ambient sounds and there are some songs uh, like I Need You for example where it's, it seems like Nick Cave is actually just making lyrics up as he goes but then there's others where lyrics feel like they're very deliberately written poetically which has been an interesting thing and I think one thing that people are rightfully pointing out a lot is that the fact that Jesus Alone the first track was written before his son died and obviously like we said his son died falling from a cliff and the album starts with the lyric you fell from the sky crash landed in a field Uh, and so that lyric comes out as sort of prophecy mm. in light of what ended up happening to his son. Yeah. And that song is actually one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, what I like about this album is the fact that although his son died and this songs were written after the fact and it's kind of the storyline is kind of all about that. That's the narrative of this album. If you didn't know that and you just listened to this, you would have no idea. None of these songs are blatantly about his son. They're more so about 
I guess death in general. That's just kind of how he what he writes about, but also about how like what what do you do after someone's gone and like what's what's the next step? How do you pick up the pieces after someone dies? And it's more so about that and figuring out what that is more so than the event itself or the person itself. Do you know were some of these songs written post after his son's death? For example, like the uh, it's Magneto, I think the song you referenced before, where he says, "I, I, what is that? I got blues in the supermarket." Yeah, cues. it's like, uh, like fierce blues in the supermarket cues. The yeah. urge to kill someone was basically overwhelming. Yeah, those lyrics that feels almost clearly inspired by his son's death. That sounds like he's like, like overwhelmed with anger and right. just and frustration and doesn't know how to express his feelings about such a confusing death. Outwardly, but at the same time, the first lyric in Jesus Alone about falling from the sky and crash landing definitely sounds very much influenced by that too. So right. it's hard to know what on this album is directly related to and it. And that, that's the thing though. I don't know that like any of it specifically is. I, I like I don't know. His lyrics are so abstract. Like he's talking about seeing someone in a red dress getting out of a black car in uh, like somewhere. And it's like, what does this even mean? Generally, what I've taken from it is just how do you pick up the pieces after you've experienced a loss, whether that be a death or something else. For sure. And this actually kind of ties into Matt Berninger in a way, so I wonder if this might be another thing he maybe learned or took from Nick Cave. Not only Nick Cave does this, but mm-hmm. if when lyrics like this are just vague enough to be interesting but applicable to many people's mm-hmm. situations, I know that's something he's talked about, Matt Berninger, about the way he writes lyrics, that's certainly how this album feels. Yeah. Um, with Nick Cave, is is that a lot of these lyrics, you can apply them directly to his son's death. You can apply it to a death that you've experienced yourself. Um, yeah. But definitely, a really interesting album. I'm I'm happy I got into it. I am too. I would recommend checking it out. Um, what this has actually ended up reminding, I think, both of us of, are a couple other older singer songwriters who have come out with albums that are about death or closely related to death. One of them is Black Star by David Bowie. I think there's a lot of parallels between the two of these with more abstract lyrics, um, some of that darker, sparse instrumentation. Even their voices sound similar on a lot of songs. I think on, like, I Need You. The whimper, the sort of the the guttural shakiness in the voice. That sounds like Bowie on some of the Black Star tracks. Yeah, yeah. Look up here. Yeah. I'm in heaven. Like when he he sounds like he's singing through his dying breath. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then the other artist that I think we both kind of relate this to is Sun Kill Moon or Mark Kozelik with Benji specifically, which was about a lot of people's deaths, family members, uh, people he knew, things like that. Very different songwriting styles where Mark Kozelix is very much, it's super specific. Yeah. And it's just very straight ahead storytelling where Nick Cave is more um, kind of, uh, what's... Obtuse? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's harder to to parse through. Yeah, exactly. Because it's sort of more symbolic... Seemingly, or it's it's more sort of poetic. Mm-hmm. Mark Kozlix is direct to the he's point, telling you exactly so, what. Yeah, happened. on Benji, he's he's telling you the stories pretty much word for word how they happen to the point where sometimes the lyrics overflow the amount of space they have yep. to um, for what a normal songwriter would actually go for. Yep. And the reason I link these albums is that I got into 
and you got into Benji by Sun Kill Moon in the fall two years That's ago. Right. And it makes and obviously it's a trope, but fall is the season of sort of death. It, things are right. dying, nature's dying. It makes these albums it sort of gives them a feel that that kind of fits with what you're experiencing. Today I was listening to Skeleton Key on my walk home from work, and it just like it felt like it really fit the song specifically, Skeleton Key. Yeah. At the end of the album, with the lightly strummed guitars yep. and sort of the ambient sounds around in the back, it just sort of fits the mood of the season, sort of as we fall into autumn a little bit. Yeah, I think no as, pun intended. As as the the season progresses, and I mean we're technically still in summer right now. I think in another right. another couple weeks, if you were to make. Uh, a playlist of if you had Skeleton Tree and then you had Benji going back to back, you would be in real fall death mode. Um, I I think this is very much so a fall autumn album, um, and I think as like I said, as the season goes on, it's only going to re- reveal itself more as that. These albums have been interesting, um, and they're also linked in that. Sun Kill Moon was the first one, the really big one that, that started this. David Bowie helped. This has helped more. I am personally getting over my older artist stigma. I yeah. think I so in my more idealized youth when I I was when I think of rock music or music I was interested in, I always had this sort of brash, actually honestly kind of stupid assumption that the only important music was written by younger people and that rock or like important music is derived from the experiences of youth. I don't really think that's true anymore. Right. I actually think that there's a lot to be said about experience and older artists. Nick Cave, I think, is in his late 50s. I think Mark Kozlik's in his early 50s. Yeah. Bowie, obviously, was... Uh, how old? 69? Yeah. 68, so, something. Something like that. Yeah. But what I've realized is that it's still, when I hear an album has come out from an established artist, and that's another thing, is is the backlog of music. So, like, with Sun Kill Moon or with... Um, with Nick Cave, I see the new album comes out. I see it's getting great reviews. I'm like, I have no context. Right. I, there's all this backstory, but I'm getting over that. Um, I, why I, do you think that is? I am too. I think for one, we are less intimidated by just diving in at a certain point with an artist where we're saying, you know what? We're, this is where we're meeting them. This is our context for this artist now. I'm just going to go for it. Whatever. I don't need the backstory. I think the other part of it, too, is as we get older, we start to drop some of those preconceived notions about needing to be young to make relevant art or relevant music. And I think we're relating to a lot of the themes that are being talked about more so on these albums, or at least can appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah, and we're, we've just been... These artists are proving that older musicians have very interesting things to say, yeah. can still write amazing music... And in some ways, are more interesting than younger musicians yep. and more nuanced have like more nuanced right. views on the world. Bowie's a great example of what you said, though, where it's where we're meeting him. Because in the aftermath of Bowie, a lot was made about um, how you could be born sort of in any generation during his life, and there was a version of Bowie for you. He yep. kept changing, and that's how I've been thinking about this with Nick Cave. I was thinking about it earlier. Is you know those albums that came out in the '80s that were his sort of most acclaimed they're the ones people think of I don't necessarily need to get into those as a prerequisite to get into this this is just an album that came out when I was young 
and I can enjoy it, right. even though the artist has all this history. And I, th- yeah, I think that's something that you and I specifically get really concerned about. Wrapped is up in, we need to do it the right, the quote unquote right way. Yeah. We need to get into them in the right order. What's their most acclaimed album? We have to go back and listen to that one first, because that's how when we were growing up, that's how we got into Bob Dylan, and that's how we got into some of these other artists. You don't have to do that. No, it's a, you make a good point, and I'm sure listeners are, are hearing this and kind of befuddled by how this could even be a problem. But it because for me, what it comes down to is I want the context, I want the history, and I need things to be clear. I almost, like with Nick Cave, I dove in with less context than I have with almost anyone. Yeah, I did a little bit of research. Like I always research artists. I look into like their history, what their best in quotes album is, right. what their best era was. You know, sort of, I look into all that. Right. It seems like with Nick Cave, he was sort of part of the goth scene in the 80s. That's what I gathered. Yeah, and I don't think it's fair for us to do that. Because even if we go back and we do the research and we say, okay, what is their quote-unquote best album or considered their best album? When we're listening now, we don't have the context of when that came out. And like... right. Listening now in 2016 compared to the year it came out, and we're not gonna—it's not gonna have the same effect on us. So maybe just listen to what they're coming out with now, because that's gonna be the most relevant to you as an individual listener. I think one of the things that we've gotten a little bit better with is not worrying so much about what is considered the best, and more so of like what is just the best for us. Right, and what's most interesting, and like I'm not. To get into Mark Kozalik and to get into Sun Kill Moon, I'm not going to go back and listen to every Red House Painters record no. from the 90s. Same with Nick Cave. I think another part of it is, I mean, obviously we're not old. We're both 24, but we're getting older. Right. And I think the perspective of older artists is starting to make increasingly more sense. It's starting to, to we're starting to realize like, oh yeah, like there are these other factors like facing death, mm-hmm. uh, coming to grips with family and what all that means. What does yeah. it mean to have a relationship with, as Mark Kozlik says, like your second cousin you never knew? What does it mean when that person right. dies? What is it going to mean when your mother dies, when your father dies? Right. All that stuff. And and when you have a son who, yeah. who maybe dies. So like those themes don't resonate, I don't think, with teenagers. No, when we're 18, no. 19, that's not what we're looking for. No, it's not. And I think we, we talked about this the other day, too. We were talking about Bruce Springsteen and how... I had never, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, but I had never listened to Tunnel of Love before. And one of the reasons why was because that that is notoriously about Bruce Springsteen's marriage that, that kind of fell apart. And it was him writing this album without realizing that his marriage was falling apart or realizing how he was at fault for it. And it all just kind of came about through the writing of this album that he realized, oh, I wasn't really ready to be married. Um, that's something that as you get older, I think you appreciate more. And when you're a little bit younger, that's not the kind of album you want. You want the Born to Run album, which is all about being young and free. It's and the upstart. That's right. What I'm realizing too is that it kind of makes the whole concept of an artist's quote-unquote best or touchstone or masterwork album kind of irrelevant. Right. Because if you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen, even if Born to Run is his best album... If you just went through a divorce, like you said, you want Tunnel of Love. If you're if you're yeah. a Bob Dylan fan, Dude, Blood on the Tracks you want is what on the you tracks. want. You, you don't, don't want you don't want Blonde on Blonde no. and all the the absurdism of that. Right. And it's the same thing with with I think artists like this. And so 
it is an interesting concept of sort of aging with artists and I think it is a matter of perspective. I think when you're a teenager, you're inherently and by nature self-centered because you're trying to figure yourself out. Right. That's I think what you're made to be doing when you're at that age, just sort of physiologically. Um, but as you get older, you start to think more about how you and your actions and other people and the people you're close to and how all your actions sort of affect one another. Mm -hmm. And that is what I sort of have continued to find more interesting about these older artists coming out with late career albums. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. So speaking of late career albums, Jake, uh, I think it's really interesting to discuss which artists who died young would have had really interesting or good late career albums. So a couple I always jump to um, are Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain. Yep. So... Kurt Cobain, it, for different reasons. With Cobain, it's because I think he would have really changed up his style, potentially. So he died when he was 27, mm -hmm. which I guess Hendrix did too, which I think a lot of people on our list did. Yeah. But, um, so he was still pretty young, and he was still writing basically punk music. I think a similar thing would have happened where if he, ate, if he got a little older, into his 40s, into his 50s, I mean, he was a thoughtful guy. I have to think that he would have eventually used the resources that were there for him to find help and sort of look inward and find out what he needs to be a, a happy person. Mm -hmm. And I think he could have released some records late in his career that would have been really more life-affirming rather than sort of confused and, and frustrated. Yeah, I could totally see that happening too. I think an interesting question is what context would he release those in would it be that's yeah in nirvana would it go solo what what would happen with that i think with kurt cobain what would end up happening would be he would inevitably have gone solo i feel like he was too big a talent and and probably in a weird way too big an ego to not do that because mm. he was just a songwriting genius really he he was like an amazing songwriter I think that would have translated to when he was when he was older, and I think he would have eventually grown out of the band setting. And we've seen obviously that Dave Grohl has some ambitions of his own. That's right. So that might have been some natural friction. He yeah. probably would have continued to ask for a little more um, sort of power in the band. Yeah. I bet Kurt would have just wanted out. Yeah. Um, I think he would have released some really interesting singer songwriter stuff later on. I I completely agree. With, I think. Oh, go ahead. I think um, I was just gonna hop into Hendrix and kind of talk about where he would go. Uh, but you, did you have a final point on Kurt? Oh, no, no, I was going to go into Hendrix, too. Yeah, so I think for for Jimmy, that's a really interesting one because his is a, such a typical, like, classic story of burnout rather than fade away. I could see Jimmy maybe not being continuing to be such a bright star and kind of being this weird dude who plays in the shadows and every now and then he pops up or he releases just like a random record, or he's featured on something. I don't know that he just keep churning out albums, um, like with at the same quality or or way that he did for that three four year stretch during the experience. I yeah. think what would have ended up happening with Hendrix is a he would be an awesome weird old guy. Yeah, because oh, he Hendrix was so eccentric. I think he would have ended up. Like a less dickish Miles Davis. Yeah. A little bit more approachable, but he was like this sort of odd genius type. I don't think he would he would have just been an awesome weird old guy mm. with like a big probably white beard. Yeah. And like I feel like he would still be amazing at guitar. I feel like what would have happened is Hendrix through the seventies would have somehow, speaking of Miles Davis, 
merged into that bitch's brew scene, mm. found his way towards jazz fusion, mm-hmm. and just expanded his virtuoso into increasingly weird and decreasingly um, commercial commercial avenues. So, like, I can't imagine Jimi Hendrix in the 80s. I can't either. Maybe he hooks up with Prince and it, they do some cool shit. Maybe he's on We Are the World. Yeah. We are the world. <laughs> it would be that would be an odd fit. Who are some of the other people you had in your Some list? of the other ones on here. John Lennon is always a big what if. That's a big what if. Big what if. I mean, I think what eventually ends up happening. He does his own thing for a bit. I think he gets that out of his system, and I, th- I think we eventually get a Beatles reunion. Yeah, I think they eventually would have. I th- because he was the person I think in the Beatles who was the most opposed. Yeah. To doing it, it seemed well. Yeah. Him and George, I think. I think Paul and Ringo are pretty much always down I think, for it. I think what happens is once George dies, they're like, you know what, this is stupid. Let's let's get back to let's do some stuff together. It's kind of what they did in the nineties, yeah. which is not when John Lennon died, but they released those couple of hits from the John, Free as a Bird and right. Real Love. Right. But yeah, I think we actually saw a glimpse of what Lennon was going to be doing with Double Fantasy, with songs like Watching the Wheels and Beautiful Boy, and um, there's some others on there that are really good, but. The thing was, he was entering kind of a songwriting renaissance that we were kind of robbed of, because I think that as Sean Lennon, his son, aged, and he got, he because he did like the stay-at-home dad thing, because he was a terrible father in the 60s to Julian, mm. and so in the, 80, the 70s and early 80s, he died in 1980, when he had Sean, he wanted to be a better parent, so he was a stay-at-home dad, and he quit music, So, but with Double Fantasy, we started to see some of the songwriting, so I think probably the 80s would have been a good time for him. Um, Nick Drake is an interesting one too. Yeah, this a uh, really really sad life for Nick Drake. If anyone doesn't have the context, Nick Drake was a singer songwriter in the seventies, who released a few good albums and a masterpiece album, as far as I'm concerned, Pink Moon, that went completely under the radar, like unnoticed. It's one of those classic sad stories of an artist becoming insanely uh, well respected. Postmortem, right, yeah, um, yeah. and I think Nick Drake, he I guess had just crippling depression, uh, like agoraphobia, couldn't perform live. But he wrote these really incredible folk songs. I have to think that if he eventually could have found a way out of his shell, just survived a few more yeah. years, got discovered by a few more people, yeah, he could have had an interesting career going forward. It's really yeah. sad what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, I know. I totally agree. Um, I think another couple here from the late '60s: Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin. These two don't interest me as much as the other ones do in terms of young uh, singers dying young or young artists dying uh, dying young. Um, I just don't know that they would go on to do anything particularly interesting. So the weird thing about... I know less about Janis Joplin, um, but with Jim Morrison, he sort of... The fact that the doors continue without him is odd... Because he sort of was the Doors, yeah. sort of like a Freddie Mercury and Queen situation, right. um, but I think even more so, um, where you could argue Brian May helped to define the sound of Queen as mu- more than anyone in the Doors did. But Jim Morrison was I get really more interested in poetry. I just have a thing he maybe would have fallen out of favor with the Doors. That's the and, thing. I don't think they continue to do things. I don't think he continues with music really. I don't I don't yeah. It's hard to say he would have been another I think really interesting case of just weird old dude. Yeah. Cuz he seemed like he was a truly strange person yeah. with like a weird mind and just sort of very off kilter in all his views and stuff. It would be interesting to see what happened. And if he did, if any of these artists released 
albums when they were older, it would obviously be interesting to hear what he would do. Do you think there would be a Cash Cow Doors reunion, right? Oh, for sure. 100%. And it's sad and actually awful to say that Jim Morrison is an example of someone who I don't think would have aged in a way that was dignified. I feel like the Doors would have become a laughing stock. Yeah. Kind of, because the funny thing is, is I'm realizing it more as I get older. Have you found this? The Doors... Some people don't like them. Yes, I am finding that, that that they're not that well respected. No, people shit all over the yeah. doors. They find them like goofy yeah. and and, uh, and just sort of kitschy. Yeah, I have found that. And I, it makes me feel... The, the, the classic doors-like sort of insult is like, oh, everyone likes the doors when you're 14. I, I guess it's kind of true because honestly, dude, I'm not interested in listening to the doors anymore. I still like that first album a lot. Yeah, that first album's really good. I still think Jim Morrison's an interesting figure yeah. with a good voice. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of agree. It's like past, like, being a teenager, I haven't been overly compelled by The Doors. No. Um, I always liked their hits. I never got way into all the albums anyways. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. One more we have on here. Ian Curtis of yeah. Joy Division. What do you think his late career would have been like. So with Joy Division, the interesting thing for me is that I have had a hard time getting into them. Yeah. I, I've i listened to, and I can, Unknown Pleasures, yeah. is the name of the album, and Closer, which I always thought was Closer. Yeah. I think it is Closer. Is it Closer? I think it is. I thought we once had this discussion, but it was reversed. I thought I one time was like, is it Closer? And I thought you told me I, it's I, Closer. I thought it was. I, I found out otherwise. I think it's Closer. Works as a great double entendre, yeah, though. it does. Uh, because it was their closer. It was his yeah. last album, because I think he committed suicide. Um, so, yeah, I don't know really what to expect. Cause, and I included him on the list because it seems like Joy Division has influenced a ton of bands past the 80s yeah. and on. But I personally have never been way into them. No, I, okay, I, I have a problem getting into them, too. Their whole... The idea of Joy Division is much better than actual Joy Division. Mm-hmm. Like, that album cover is so much cooler than any song on it. For Unknown unknown Pleasures, I mean, it's oh, the I, classic one. The waveform The waveform, yeah. Everyone it, knows that. Because you want to get into Joy Division so you can wear that t-shirt. Just because of that, that. So you can wear that t-shirt. Seriously, yeah. Without being embarrassed when someone yes. asks and you say you don't know the songs. I like, mean, I want, I like want to go buy that t-shirt right now. Just for how cool it is. It's an amazing yeah. album cover. It's so cool. Yeah. Closer has a decent album cover too. Or yeah. closer. But yeah, I, so with Joy Division, it's just like every time I listen, I somehow can't get. I can't I just, it I, just, There's a wall. There's, a disconnect. I just there's some it. songs I really, really like. Yeah. As a whole, they're tough. Um, I see the influence. I can understand I do too. what and an that's the thing. I think they are a great example of a band whose influence was more important and better than their actual. Output was Sex Pistols are in that discussion too. Yeah, for sure. They're definitely in that discussion where I feel like their image is more what they're about than because obviously their output was one album, right? Which is really good and I like a lot, but that's it. And I feel like that that's a classic example of a band that's just substance over people. It's sort of an image based thing. Yeah, I don't know. So actually, I, I included him on the list. I didn't have any necessarily great thoughts about Ian Curtis. I don't know. No, I, yeah, I, I think other was. than what we just said, I think that's pretty much the Ian Curtis listening <laughs> podcast takes. Also, up for discussion, the dudes in Badfinger, the guy in Badfinger who killed himself. Um, Leonard Skinner. Ronnie Van Zant. Yep. You also got um, the guy in Sublime, who died before Sublime blew up. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. I that's a, that's an all-time what-if. Bradley something. Yeah, Bradley You know what, something. dude? I'm not like way into Sublime or that sound, but some of those songs are undeniable. Those are, oh, those are for hits. sure. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to listen to that full record, but I'll, you know, if someone throws on 
what I got or Santeria. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll enjoy that shit. Me too. And so that's a big what if. Would would music have just all be sort of reggae inspired? I rock? would certainly hope not. I. I would... Where uh, ska reigns supreme uh, over the, the airwaves. I'd be greatly displeased with that. Yeah, I would too. Uh, so, taking this a step further, if we look at which contemporary or living artist, God, God willing that none of these artists die young... Yeah, we're um, not rooting for that. It's a football. No. It's like a fantasy football situation. You don't root for injury. No, you don't want any injuries here. No. Hurt or injured. And like that's like... I once saw a tweet where a guy was like... I hope Will Smith dies before me so I can see the awesome Will Smith marathon that's on TV that's after he point. dies. That being said, we're not rooting for the death of any of these no. amazing artists. No. But what we would be interested in is who will continue to reinvent themselves and make interesting music as they age here. So we have uh, we have a list of some people here. Uh, I think a great one to start with is Kanye West. Yeah. What does he become as he gets older? Because I feel like he is entering this period of his career where he's getting out of being just like a rapper and that like in more into being a curator of talent and more maybe reverting back into this producer role than being a full-fledged straight-ahead rapper. We were talking about this the other day, which is a weird thing to say on a podcast because no one who doesn't have context for our discussion will know that. Right. So it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. That, that we talked about it the no. other day, but we still did. And Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy to me was his peak as a rapper. He Agreed. Was, he was his verses on that are funny. They're they're witty. The the flow is great. He's yep. probably at his peak as a rapper during that album. Yeezus and Life of Pablo. We've seen him focus more on the production end, even though the production on Twisted Fantasy is like perfect. Right. But he focused more on styles, I think, than on having great rap verses and on doing interesting thing with things with guests and stuff. Yeah. And. Especially Life of Pablo with the guest thing, where yeah. it's just it's people coming in, it's a revolving and door. kind of stealing the show. Like you have a song like Waves, where that may as well be a Chris Brown song. Right. Um, Chance the Rapper steals the show on uh, Ultra Light Beams. Right. And so I think yeah, he's moving into this phase where he's kind of done the rap thing. He's done the right. his magnum opus as a pure rapper. And Watch the Throne was another where he kind of did that. Yeah. He was he, he was he rapping was, pretty well yeah, on that album. Really he was well. It right seemed like for that that stretch there of a couple years, he was like I really care about being the best rapper and honestly it shows his verses on Twisted Fantasy and Watch the Throne are really strong they're amazing and he's rapping them with an energy that he doesn't have especially on Life of Pablo Life of Pablo I'm very bored by what Kanye is doing as a rapper, he's gotten lazy. He yeah. does he does the rap equivalent of just like holding money up, yeah. or like holding up a big chain, right? And he's just like he just sort of flashes his wealth and success and luck, right? He sort of flashes all that, and that is a substitute for interesting verses. Yeah. He just assumes that because he is interesting, his verses are interesting. Right? I don't think it's always true. He sort of he totally has started to rest on his laurels. Yeah, yeah. You can see it on these albums, and I think Kanye. It'll be interesting to see what he does as he gets older because I think there's plenty of opportunities for him to pull together, like we talked about last week, like a rap supergroup. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, just be a coordinator, be sort of, like you said, a curator who pulls things together, who pulls the strings, comes in on a verse, everyone still gets excited. He's also in that discussion of all time weird old guy. Because Kanye West, I'm realizing more and more, is really weird. Oh, yeah. He's a strange, strange he is. man. He is. I I can't wait to see what he ends up doing as an older dude, because um, if you know not for nothing, Kanye's greatest strength is having an ear 
for what sounds good, whether it be from a production standpoint or other people's talent standpoint. I think that's going to be the real strength as he goes on. I think it's going to be less about the rap, more about curation and putting things together that just sound good. Totally agree. Another one that I think is really interesting, we've mentioned them a couple times on this podcast, The National. Mm -hmm. They are already sort of an older band. They're already all up in their 40s. I mean, they're at the height of their success pretty much right now. So I think they are going to be carried on that wave of success for a few more albums at least. I think they'll be making interesting music into their 60s. I would agree. So I think The National are an example of a band who can just keep churning stuff out. They're going to have a core fan base that just keeps listening to them. I think this next album, from what I've been hearing, is they're trying to do different stuff. They're like, we don't want to make just another national album. Because like we could do that, and we would have great songs, but we don't want to keep doing that. So I think this next album that they come out with is going to be a great indication on what's going to come in the next part of their career. Um, but I could see them just continuing to churn out the the good stuff that they churn out. Which I, I love that they... I didn't hear that, but I love the fact that you say they're, they're mixing up their sound a little bit. I think that's what you have to do, um, although you could argue the Rolling Stones kind of screwed themselves in the 80s a little bit, Dylan with his Christian face. Yeah. Um, but barring something that radical of a departure, I think if the National tweak their sound a little bit, do some interesting stuff as they get older, it'll be um, really interesting to hear what they come up with. And the thing is, is they're not a band tied to youth. They're not a band no. where their image is tied in with being young and like frustrated by what it is to be young. They're, they're very much like an adult's band. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think as they get older, that will just remain sort of their MO. And I don't think they're going to... The National can, they can... If they kept churning out what they do now, like you said, yeah, it wouldn't really be that noticeable. No. So speaking of the opposite yeah. of the National... Um, people who are very much all about youth and youthful feelings and emotions mm-hmm. about youth are these pop punk and emo bands we've been talking a lot about. So, modern baseball and yeah. um, you know that whole scene. What happens to them as they start to hit their mid to late twenties and into their thirties? Do a lot of these bands just go away, or do they kind of pivot and start to do some different types of songwriting? It's it's like literally almost impossible to tell. I could see modern baseball. I mean, they're so young. They're like younger than like twenty three, I think twenty two even. They've already started a little bit, especially on Jake's side of uh, Holy Ghost, transitioning a bit more towards songwriter yeah. music, it's music that is more lyrically focused, a little more um, less straight ahead punk sound, less like get up and go, pulsing sort of three chord punk songs. I could see them moving towards more of a just overall alternative rock sound. Yeah, I could too. Which they already kind of have done. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what Sorority Noise does with their new album next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, that's decades away. And so many of these bands, barring, like, if they achieve massive success, could just fall off. Yeah. I could see a band like Pup. Who knows what will happen to them? And they could yeah. easily, these bands are right on the, they're teetering right on the brink of, of make getting by, from what I can that's, tell. Yep. And it, it's a hard life to live, and I mean, the lead singer of Pup almost had to quit because he like right. lost his voice almost That's right. yeah, yeah. with that tumor or whatever yeah. he had or cyst. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that you know if the ones that make it, hopefully, there's interesting things there. So I think a good example of this is a band like Japan Droids, who they were 
Yeah, they're in their 30s now, and I remember right before Celebration Rock came out, they're like, yep, we'll give it one more go, we'll see what happens, and then Celebration Rock blew up. They haven't done anything since Celebration Rock, though, and it seems like maybe with this type of music, these bands, it's you have a shelf life, and then once you once that is up, you're done, and you don't really do much else. Let me ask you this. What do you think Kendrick Lamar and Drake will be like when they're old men? Which of them is more likely to still be making music? Uh, I, I think it's Drake. Okay. Because I think Drake is a guy who's very calculated, and it's going to be easier for him to transition into just a R&B singer type of role and not worry about rapping and the posturing that he does now. I think he's already said, he's like, I don't plan to rap past the age of 30. Uh, like so, I think I could, which is probably bullshit. But I, I'm gonna say Drake because he will keep doing like these guest vocals. He'll be popping up doing hooks and just singing more so than rapping. Kendrick, dude, I don't think we've seen anyone like Kendrick before though. So uh, there's not really any any indication of what he might do. Yeah, and I'll go devil's advocate uh, take on this one where I'll say I think it might be Kendrick who ends up making music later into his career because he seems like someone, like you said, Drake's more calculated, I think more driven by success. Yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely interested in his art. He's He wants to make things that are compelling on an artistic level. But Drake is more of a pure entertainer. I right. mean, he comes from an acting background. He goes on SNL. He's funny. Kendrick is more of the eccentric. I could see him doing stuff... I mean, he has only, as his career has progressed, gotten more and more weird with the music, mm. the jazz, like the free jazz mm-hmm. production, and sort of, I could see him going further and further down that rabbit hole, maybe with less exposure, but he's someone who I think where his true muse, his true sort of end goal is music as art, and that's what he's yeah. aiming for. I think if Drake, the wind blows a little bit this way and sort of now acting is the thing, yep. I could see him getting older and just being like an entertainer. Yeah, 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 I, I could In a I more could broad see, yeah, sense. Yeah, I could totally see that as well. I have a collection okay. of singer-songwriters for you Let's here. If you take uh, Tallest Man on Earth, so Christian Mattinson, Justin Vernon of Bonnie Iver, Ben Gibbard, Death Cab for Cutie, Bradford Cox from Deer Hunter, and Sufjan Stevens, I feel like that collection of people, you're looking at career-long musicians in the same vein as like, a Neil Young, a Bob Dylan, these kind of guys who are always just around. Yep. And they're going to keep releasing music. Maybe not to... Some albums are better than others. Some are just complete misfires. Some are really good. I think these are the guys who are just going to keep making music and writing for a long, long time. And I'll be a lifelong fan. I'll listen to everything. And I can picture in 30 years when... You know, tallest man on earth is coming out with an album, and he's like in his sixties of like rockabilly covers. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, yeah, like uh, not my favorite, but not as good as Wild Hunt. But yeah, I'll listen. Neil Young is an example of an artist who did a lot of that. Released yep. albums that are notoriously horrible. Yeah, Bob Dylan too. Yeah, your idea, and this actually kind of goes back to the rap supergroup. What about like a Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young situation between some of these guys? Ooh. What if it was say Christian Matson, tallest man? Um, Justin Vernon, Robin Pecknold, uh, say that's just Crosby, Stills, and Nash yeah. right there, those three guys. Yep. And they maybe you mix in like a Daniel Rosen or Ed Drost yeah. from Grizzly Bear. Think of the harmonies. That's what I'm saying. And all the different types of voices. 
Could you imagine that? That'd be amazing. Like, say that happens in 10 years. That'd be amazing. I'd go out and buy that record. Oh, absolutely. And you know it wouldn't be as good as... Oh, no. The album itself wouldn't be that great. There would actually be only one song that's good. Yeah. It wouldn't even be great. It'd be, this song's good, the rest would be kind of average to below average. Or they'd have, like, five amazing songs over the span of, like, four albums. Yeah. Like, a Sweet Judy Blue. Like, I feel like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, whichever iteration, that's a band where... I've never like heard of an album by them that is must no. listen stuff. Like it's even hard for them to fill a greatest hits album that is just right. no filler. But they still have Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. They still have uh, Ohio. Yeah. They still have the hits that like Marrakesh Express that people yep. know. Teach your children well, which I've always thought is a little overrated mm-hmm. that song. But it would be interesting to see sort of a melding of the the great powers of folk. That'd be awesome. As they age a that'd be, bit. that'd be great. Here's one for you. Uh, Father John Misty. Uh, we've talked at length about yeah. this guy before. If you're interested, go check out some of our past episodes about him. We have one literally titled just a, Father John just Misty. Just about him. Completely about him. I think, uh, just quickly, as he gets older, I think he'll be very, very interesting. I think he just keeps getting more and more like in his own head and just d- talking about what he wants to talk about and not giving a fuck. I think we're going to get more of that from him. I think so, too. He's going to be this dude who, like, he's the the artist who ages and doesn't release that much material. Yeah. But you always hear his opinions. Yeah. You always hear him spouting off about something. Yeah. yeah. And sort of, like... He's going to he's gonna kind of be like Jeff Mangum. Where yeah. Where, like, he's kind of always in the... You see him, like, being tweeted about, like, Jeff Mangum speaks out against this. And you're like, oh, okay, this dude's still in the mix. I can't not pronounce his name Jeff Magnum. I, me I too. Can't, I, I know. Whenever it, it I see it, me. I see him as Jeff Magnum. Me too. Also, there's a musician named Jeff Magnum. Uh, so that's confusing. Yep. Here's an interesting one. And they are more tied to youth and sort of their image is tied into youth. What do you think about Vampire Weekend? So they already, yeah. they've lost Rostam. Yeah. What, this next album a, is going to be a real good indication of what happens with Vampire Weekend. It's winning been, time for them. It, they've been on the top, on top of the world for the better part of a decade now. It's going to be, uh, rubber's really going to hit the road on this next one. And it's going to be like, how much of a difference d- does Rostam make in your band and in your sound? And I think Modern Vampires, which came out now three years ago, is already... A step. They already made a step away from their preppy, collegiate chic sort of image that yeah. they had going. They need to separate themselves more from it if they're going to remain relevant yeah. and remain interesting. Agreed. So, the, like, Vampire Weekend is a band that is, I think, out of all the ones we've mentioned, in the most danger of of aging poorly. Because yes. I could see that first record, even though I love it, I could definitely see that being a band where, when it's on lists decades from now. People who are our age then see it and listen, and they're like, "I don't get it." I was good. I was about to. That's. I think that's a very, very real possibility. That I was about album. to say, "Is Vampire Weekend gonna be the 21st century version of The Doors, where it's like, you know, you like them when you're this age, but it, we'll see." I don't know. The thing is, is I still really like them now, but I'm living. But in well, the moment. well, that's because we know them. I'm talking like years down the road. When Ezra Koenig gets up on a T-shirt without a shirt, mm. like Jim Morrison, then I'll start to believe yeah. that. I think the yeah, it's hard because no one in that band is like a messiah figure, <laughs> right? Right. And right. none of them like spew sort of half baked 
ideological things <laughs> right. like that are just based they all off seem t- really smart and like just like based on drug use right you're right um so i think more likely is they'll just end up sounding kind of dated yeah um even though we'll really like them but like the 20 year olds of like 2030 and 2040 i feel like there will be fewer of them who will go back and really get into the vampire weekend sound i yeah i can um, see that but that's the thing is the the artists who end up translating in their older years are I think almost always a surprise. Yeah. I think it's hard to tell who it's going to be. Yeah. Like David That's true. David Bowie's an example of someone who continually did. Right. Um and if anything, only gained respect throughout his career. But then a band like the Rolling Stones, I feel like everyone laughs at them now. Mm, they yeah. get out on stage and it's like, oh they're still going. It's like a joke. They're right. the joke of the band right. that keeps going too long. And the joke is they haven't released anything good since the eighties. Yeah. That's so. true. That's true. Uh Quickly before we get into this last one, I think Arcade Fire is a band who's mm. going to keep releasing things yeah. and it's going to keep being really respected. I feel like there's a band who every four or so years will come out with an album. I can't remember who it is, Here, but but it's always well reviewed. It's always well respected. You know, if like the Hold Steady, no, like Wilco Schmilko. You know who's a man? It might be a good example. Is like an REM. Oh yeah, yeah. Who's definitely. just like this legacy act? They always come out with stuff. They have their core audience who loves them. They're pretty well respected, no matter what they come out with. I think that might be an arcade fire situation. You know who screams, um, "Album, I'm gonna go buy at Barnes and Noble to feel like I'm still relevant in like twenty, thirty years." Is Jack White? Yeah, I feel like Jack White is going to just increasingly represent. Um, what men go by when they want to feel like they're young and are interested yeah. in like good music because like oh Jack White he's he's like an indie ja- rocker. Yeah, let me talk about Jack White really. I quick. love Jack White, but it, it's already Jack to White happen. now. Yeah, Jack White in 2016 is not cool. Right, it's it, that's not exactly cool. what I'm saying. He doesn't really do anything interesting. Right, he he thinks he's interesting. People who don't know any better think he's interesting. Jack White in 2016 kind of sucks. His listen, the White Stripes are like all time amazing. Cool. They're so cool. He's grant like this is deserved. He can rest on the reputation of being in the White Stripes for the rest of his career. But don't piss on me and tell me it's raining, Jack White. You are not cool or interesting anymore. And and the thing is, is he has this reputation also deserved as being this like guitar, rock guitar god. Yeah, like that will have no cachet in, in 20 years. No, it doesn't have any now. No, and no one cares. The only people who care are dads. <laughs> right. Who think it's cool that right. like guitar solos are still a thing. <laughs> right. But that won't fly right. in like 2030 right. when he's older. No one will give a shit. No, people don't give a shit now. You're it's already a, starting to see that. There, there's there's a Jack White backlash happening now. That it's like quiet. It's quiet. It's it's in the shadows. It's I'm whispers. vocalizing it right now. Jack White sucks now. Uh, you know who else kind of sucks now and who I don't like that much really is um, anymore is the Black Keys. Dude, I'm yes. not interested anymore. Me neither. The Black Keys are 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 washed. And they're gonna release an album every two years yep. for the next forty years. Yeah. Gonna, I like don't like them anymore. The Black Keys are gonna have ninety more albums. And I don't. And they're all gonna sound like the last one. Yeah. And right. They're gonna. Yeah. It's gonna be the same thing. Yeah. Um, what about you? Wrote these down. These are so. I think these are fascinating. This is another kind of collection. What's gonna happen with the huge pop stars right now? So I'm yeah. talking Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Rihanna, and Beyonce. Who ages well out of this? Who falls off? 
who's still making relevant music. You know what I'm going to say? You know who I think is oddly going to be the craziest and least well-adjusted is Taylor Swift. I actually think she is so caught up in like her image, and she seems like someone who is really easily offended, like sort of easily yeah. offended, easily uh, yep. uh, sort of set off yep. to recording a whole album about a person or something. Yep. I feel like Taylor Swift, it could go one of two ways. She could remain composed and continue on this incredible hot streak she's on yep. right now, or Taylor Swift could be... She kind of like spirals a little bit. Yeah, I could see a Taylor Swift meltdown happening in the next few years. But I really think that she is a little too smart, a little too calculated for that. I think she knows exactly what needs to be done to be a successful artist. I think she keeps churning out huge pop hits for the next decade. And I think she starts to transition into a little bit more of a mature singer-songwriter. Maybe goes back to country a little bit. And starts to have a well-respected back half of her career. Yeah. You also mentioned Katy Perry, who I think is more likely to just fade into obscurity. I agree. I, agree. I think of of this list, and I think we should also include Lady Gaga. Yeah. Um, but with Katy Perry, she seems like someone who... It just feels like in 10 years we're not going to be hearing I from agree. her. I agree. I agree. And it's not that. that I don't like her anyway. Lady Gaga is someone who has continued to sort of reinvent herself and do different weird things. I'm very interested in what she'll do as an older sort yeah. of artist. Yeah. Um, who knows what she'll do. Because she's I she, of the people on this list, you could argue Taylor Swift or I don't really know to what extent Beyonce or Rihanna write their own songs. But Lady Gaga is like a legitimately good songwriter. Um, and so it would be interesting to see what she gets involved with as she gets older because I haven't liked much of her work since that the the paparazzi album. Yeah, was I was going to ask you, did you hear the new single she came out with? No. It, Kevin Parker produced it. Oh, really? It sucks. Does it suck? It's it's like nothing. It, See, it, it, it there's no there's nothing to it. Because she's so eccentric though, I feel like she's going to be someone Lady Gaga who takes these hits through the years. She might just keep releasing stuff. Yeah. She's so prolific. I feel like she's just going to keep pumping stuff out, and it'll be like a Neil Young situation. Some of it will hit, some of it won't. Yeah. Um, because, you, you know, she's already lost some of the superstars. That's true. Think. That's true. She's, she's not quite as famous as she, she was in 09. I, I was having a conversation with this with someone yesterday uh, about Lana Del Rey and how she, that first album, packed with hits, played it on the radio all the time. She has since has kind of faded into like this. She's popular, but she's not top 40 radio popular it's a, anymore. It's a, a niche. She's playing, I feel like Lana Del Rey is playing where she wants to be, where she's like, people know me, the people who care about my shit are going to listen to it. I feel like Lady Gaga is trending towards that too, where she's like, okay, I might not be top 40 smash hit status, but people know me and they're going to care about what I'm doing. And that's, I guess, where I'm, what I'm actually getting at is that if I'm thinking about which of these artists, maybe excluding Beyonce, she seems actually really likely to do this, will have an album that will be awesome when she is 50 to 60 I think Lady Gaga is right in that discussion yeah so she's going to continue to write songs yeah and just do interesting stuff whether it's popular or not so I think Beyonce is our generation's Madonna where she just keeps coming out with shit and it's always well received yeah and she and just I never listened to it right and she just keeps being this symbol um and I think that's I think Beyonce is untouchable in in that sense where it's just she's such a legend already that's just gonna keep being a thing. Uh, Rihanna is an interesting one. I don't know what she does or what happens with her. 
thing with Rihanna is I feel like I haven't listened to many of her just straight up Rihanna albums. Right. I listened to Anti only a couple times. That came out this year, right? Yeah, it did. I need to go back and revisit that. I do, feel like do you though? You I don't. don't you I don't, don't know really. because I feel like she can keep okay. make, making her bread just featuring on other people's yeah. music like that. It was working fine for her. Yeah. What do you think is gonna happen with Nicki Minaj? Ah, uh, I, I have no idea. Is her shtick well, kind of worn out? On here's people? the thing with a lot of these, um, like, strong black female artists. We've never seen anything like this before. There's no right. precedent for this, so yeah. they're kind of blazing their own trail, which is really cool. So I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It is really cool, and yeah. So I think. Who's your pick for most likely to release a great late career album? Uh, out of the people we've talked about? Yeah, out of that, that list of modern divas. Uh, I, got, I, I got to say Taylor Swift. You do? I think it's going to be Taylor. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think she is maybe the best songwriter on her own out of this. She has that base of, I was a country artist, but... I have pop sensibility. I think she's going to... She's sort of a, a five-tool player. She is. I, th I think it's going to be Taylor. Okay. I can see that. So I'm trying to think what the... So if this right now is their prime, if this is like the 70s, that means the 20, 20s will be like the 80s-ish era yep. for them, which is a ridiculous thing to do, relate <laughs> our decades to them. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. where... where Artists from the 60s and 70s did their weird shit in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, they were at sea there. And, and so which ones will actually come through with, with good albums? And I, it's In the 80s, I think a lot of the artists we talked about, like Neil Young, like they Bob just, Dylan. They didn't. They just didn't do it. Right. They couldn't do it. Um, so maybe we got to wait to the 2030s for a renaissance. Yeah, maybe we do. Maybe we do. So that, that's an interesting, I think, discussion overall is who... And listeners, I think we want your feedback here. Who are the artists that are young now, uh, but won't be young in 20 to 30 years, but will still be releasing music? And who among them will release good albums? Yeah, let us know. Tweet at us, at ListenInPod. It's a big, honestly, can we talk about how great the change I, is? I, I know. It makes so much more sense. I know. We had a branding crisis. We did. We did. We talked about this for the last, we talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Just saying at listen in pod makes it so much better. I was so happy it was available when yeah. I like went and set up the new handle. Yeah. Just at listen in pod. It, it just it better. sounds better. It's, it makes more sense from a branding perspective. Yeah. I feel like people didn't know what we were talking about with Level 4 Media no. anymore. No. Because we didn't use it right. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it get happens. at us at at listen in pod. Um you know, I think I think what we can do, Jake, is maybe save talking about Angel Olsen yep. for a kind of a collective recap about September albums because we got a lot coming. I agree. We, got, we should we got preoccupations coming tomorrow, Symbols Eat Guitars, mm -hmm. Beach Slang streaming early today, Rostaman Hamilton streaming early today. We got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. I think that's a, a good recap podcast for next week or the following. Yeah. yeah. I had it on the agenda just if we didn't reach time, but it seems like we are at time for yeah. sure. Yep. So yeah, that so, I think that's about it. Yeah, that was episode forty one in the books. Jake and I are headed to Car Seat Head rest this weekend we'll Ooh. recap that as well maybe we do a little car car seat headrest podcast <laughs> I don't, yeah. get josh in the mix yeah we could we that's not a bad we could idea bring the mic we, it wouldn't that's hurt not a bad idea let's make sure it doesn't melt this time you may or may not be hearing from us this weekend uh yeah so we will be back see ya bye everyone
recording. Mic's on. Well, we're we're back to football, Jake. Back to football. Back to football. What did you think of Week One overall? Uh, surprisingly, pretty good. Quality thought, wasn't thought bad. The games were pretty good. Yeah, the quality wasn't bad. Um, but I mean, from a moral standpoint, hard to justify watching football. It's it's tough. I feel weird about it because, all the time now. So do I because it's uh it's like. You know, supporting something that is arguably killing people. That I fundamentally disagree with on almost every level. Where, like, right. the way the league is run, the people who run it, the people who play in it, pretty much everything about it I disagree with and don't, I don't know feel if I, good about. I don't think I dislike the people who play in the league. There's a lot of people I dislike there, fun, on a personal level because they're shitty people. Oh, like the yeah, like people who are involved in domestic abuse and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it's just like violence in general, and and the culture of like making football stars like heroes in right. communities, and who who are like if you're good at football, you're just above right whatever it is you commit or do. Yeah. Jameis Winston is a perfect example. Great example. He was in the NFL. He like raped someone in college. Jameis Winston did. You didn't know that? No. There's this whole documentary that. about it. Oh, maybe I did know that. It's it was coming out. I saw like the preview and part of it, and this girl like. Went to college, I don't wherever he went, I don't forget where. Florida State. Florida State. And she, it was the situation I feel like we've heard about a thousand times where like she came out and she was like, yeah, that's the guy who did that oh, thing that's to me right. at the party. And then yeah. she, and she was just basically like shushed out of Florida I State. I forgot about And this. made to look bad. Yes. Just like the woman who Peyton Manning like dragged his nutsack across her face. Yes. Like, and, and it's a culture where... Didn't you say you like Peyton Manning? Aren't you a big Peyton guy? Not really. I liked him until I heard that. Mm, okay. Um, and I just like to trap you with that. Right. Good trap. And with... Um, it, it's a league where, like, they'll witch hunt Brady... Right. ...for this fucking Deflategate thing. And then guys like Ray Rice... And well, Greg I guess Hardy. you can make the argument Ray Rice is out of the league and will never play again. Uh, see, that's the thing. Rumors now are that he's going to get signed again. So that's the whole that's the hip- hypocrisy of this league is teams won't touch you only if it's a bad PR move for them. This not is statute a, of limitations. Not if it's just a bad move in general. So like as long as public outcry isn't there, they'll do it because you can help them win, and that's all they care about. And the spin on the stories a lot of times is like what's so upsetting about it is the spin ends up being about. This ruined a young man's life. I mean, we saw it with this with that fucking that Stanford the swimmer. The, kid. You mean the rapist? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean the rapist. That is how the story was spun by so many people. Like right. you know, this really ruined this kid's life. It's like, life. well, you know what also ruins lives is you raping people. Mm-hmm. So maybe don't do that, and you don't need to worry about your life getting ruined because your life should be ruined if well, you rape someone. Well, Sean, I mean, she kind of ruined his life. Boy, by boys t- will be by, boys, by t- right? Boys will be boys, Sean. Come right. on. No, I I find the whole thing sickening. So. I do too, I, and that's why I have a real hard time being engaged with the NFL as Me much too. as I have in years past. That all being said, statement win for the Pats in Week One. <laughs> <laughs> no, now Jake is Garoppolo hyped, overhyped, or properly hyped? It was no, is he overly hyped, oh. underhyped? Oh yeah, okay. Or properly? So right. today on ESPN, for some context for anyone who is for whatever reason still listening. I was scrolling through like my ESPN app, which sucks. It's yeah. hard to navigate. Yeah. But I, it happened to open, and I saw this story where it was like, our five experts, five of our experts weigh in on whether Jimmy Garoppolo is overhyped, underhyped, or properly hyped. 
And then it said they all came to the same conclusion. Like, read here. And I was like, not only will I skip this article. Oh, there goes Shock Jock. Shock Jock. Dude, shock. he hasn't been around, and I think it is because he's in rehab. I hope he is. I hope he's getting the help he needs. He'll have to come back, like, maybe next week mm-hmm. or the week after and tell mm-hmm. us all about rehab. Yeah. That would yeah. probably be for the best. I think the listeners would, would get a lot out of that. I think they would. A cautionary tale. For, for goddamn sure. So let me ask you this, though. If ESPN told us if he's underhyped or overhyped yeah. or properly hyped, if the Bills or Jets lose tonight, is one of these teams done or are they finished? Um, if it's the Bills, you got to think they're finished, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, and you got to think Rex Ryan's right on the hot seat. He's probably done. Yeah. Yeah, probably, I mean the Jets are out to an 0-2 start. Probably, probably done. Probably not done. finished. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the difference now, because there's no difference. If Revis goes down with another hamstring today, yeah, hurt or injured. Well, he's getting up there. Definitely yeah. injured. I think he's injured. I think too. he's injured. Yeah, yeah. Which would make him done or finished for his career. You know what I was thinking about earlier too is like, what if the conclusion of the Garoppolo article was he's properly rated? Then basically, what you've done. Is you've taken you've made an article out of five people who are making heavy air quotes experts mm-hmm. about football, and just having them all agree that Jimmy Garoppolo is exactly he's as qualified and as good as as everyone thinks he is. Mm-hmm. That's the story. That's it. He's exact. He's rated perfectly. That's it. And so basically, the news is Jimmy Garoppolo is as good as you think. So it's not news. What they should really dive into is if he's elite or not. They or start. if he has the opportunity to become elite. He got a big win week one of the season, and I you got to say he's in the conversation. Yeah, I think he's elite. I think without a doubt he's an elite quarterback, and I think we might have a little quarterback controversy in the I think so, too. I think so, Tom too. Tom Brady, you know what? He was good for a while, uh, but this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, Sean. And, and what Brady's done for us lately is do nothing with Jeff Bridges with his Uggs. Sit on the couch. Well, what Brady has done for us lately is he's told us that he's never eaten a strawberry in his life. Crazy stuff. So maybe maybe Brady's now working for the, the FDA. I don't know. Could be. Maybe. Well, dude, Brady doesn't trust the FDA. Or, no. like, government agencies that regulate food or safety. No. He trusts, like, that quack who's, like, his life mentor. And, like, best friend slash godfather to his son. Which is, like, what is it? What? With with football guys, godfathers are a big thing. Godfathers are a huge deal. Honestly, I kind of forget who my godfather actually is. Mine's my uncle. Um, mine's one of my uncles. I don't know which one. Yeah. It, it's a good thing neither of our parents didn't die because we might have had, like, an Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia Is that a real situation. thing or is it more of a uh, kind a symbolic of thing? symbolic thing? I don't know. Because when I was a kid, I legitimately thought, I was like, if my parents die, I go live with this family, and my sisters go live with this other family. That's not how it fucking works. It can't be. That's not how it works. I don't even understand the reason behind doing it then. I don't, it's, I think it's a symbolic thing. It's symbolic. Just like the fact that the Patriots still have Brady on the roster, just to bring that all back full circle. It's basically a symbolic thing at this point. He's a wash-up. He's a has-been. Right. Garoppolo's the wave of the future. And they're like, all right, as a little thank you to Brady, as a little, uh, just, you know, a token of their appreciation, like, we're going to keep, we'll roster this guy. Right. But I think everyone knows Garoppolo is elite and Brady's not. That's right. Without He's, a doubt. That's right. That's right. And that was Hot Takes with the Listening Podcast. We just ran the gamut pretty hard from, like, legitimate, like, we were being serious and talking about how football 
is kind of an ill in society, but we yep. still do it. Um, and, and like in partake in it to all the way to like being full blown like joking. Right. Right. And and like making fun of hot take yeah. sports culture. Yeah. But I mean it's gonna be an interesting season and I'll see if I can morally stomach it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Back know. to football. Back, to, back football. to football, everyone enjoy. Back back to the podcast. What sucks is I really like it. That's the that's what sucks the most is that when I watch it I'm like hell yeah, yeah. it's an awesome game to watch yeah. it's so fun to watch yeah basically Jake's life is like that Coors Light commercial from 2002 ish um, and twins and twins have here's, we talked about football have yeah. we talked about and twins on the I don't think we have dude what there's no better encapsulation of what just general culture was like in the early to very early mid 2000s like 02 to 04. That like it's post nine eleven, so we everyone like got up and like put their spurs and boots on, and everyone doubled down instead of like becoming a more dignified nation and and taking a look in the mirror and be like, you know what? Maybe there's a reason why maybe, everyone hates us. Maybe we were attacked on our own soil for the first time in sixty years because we do some things wrong right. domestically. I mean internationally right. with diplomacy. Uh, but instead, we did that thing where we're like, you know what? No, fuck that. I'm just doing me. I'm perfect. I'm amazing. <laughs> right. I'm going to be more like me. And we uh, we got more into football. We we just embraced all the things that made us ugly. One of my favorite lines from that Coors Light commercial, and if you guys haven't seen it before, you need to search it on YouTube yeah, right now. It's the, the most over-the-top commercial ever. Just search for a Coors Light and Twins commercial, and you, it'll come up. It's... It's, I mean, the Ann Twins line is absurd, um, but it's the quarterbacks eating dirt yeah. line. Was, I love quarterbacks eating dirt. <laughs> Something in short skirts and those twins. <laughs> it's over the top. It, it's, it's, so it's sexist. <laughs> it's, it's just like violent. Yeah. It it, it it holds it, it it like the song promotes overeating. <laughs> Does it? I, I like eating way too much, playing two hand touch <laughs> and twins. <laughs> like then the guitars can get Those guitars are so distorted. It's a crazy riff. It's like that. Also, can we go back to the and twins thing for a second? Like you and and I'm stealing this directly from part of my take, but they. They're just like, yes, every male's fantasy is to just help you commit incest. You can, what are you gonna you're gonna have sex with both the twins? Right. And like they're gonna have sex with each other and you and love it? Like what? What they, is that? They were born and raised as genetically identical sisters. So naturally, all they wanna do is just have sex with you. After you've eaten way too much, played two hand touch, and like sat your drunk ass in the stands. <laughs> and drank way too much Coors Light. That's your second mistake is drinking Coors Light. You know what? I gotta say, Coors Light does a great job with their advertising. Yeah, they do. Because they somehow convinced America that their beer is the best beer because it's the coldest beer, <laughs> That's which right. is a, a, a just a magic act. It's it so is. incredible. It is. Our our shitty light beer is the best because it's cold and you can see it's cold because <laughs> the mountains turn blue. <laughs> that may as well be the riff. And twins. <laughs> and twins. <laughs> Pedal steel, <laughs> drums. Yeah, Coors Lights. I mean, we're still talking about this commercial 
like 15 years later. Well, as so. a young man, I was like fucking 10. Yeah. Like shaped how I viewed women. Because you're, you're a that? little kid. And you're like, oh, you, yeah, and twins. You need yeah. to unlearn that behavior. It takes effort to unlearn that just. That built-in misogyny the object- that surrounds the NFL. That's one of the other reasons. It like cheerleaders. That's a perfect example. Cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Like these women are here just for you to look at, yeah. and that you just think that's normal. And they have to like be happy no matter what's happening during the game, right? And and they're there for your entertainment. Like what the fuck is that? It's it's weird. It's, it's so it weird. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. A lot about football makes me uncomfortable. And I think that it's just an ugly thing I like, and I'm not a, I'm not a, yeah. I'm not proud of it, but it's there. I guess the real question is like, at what point do you stop, or do you ever stop, or what does it take for you to not watch anymore completely? Where you're just like, nope, I'm not supporting. The that. thing is, is if they actually make moves towards less hitting, I'm I will be one of the like annoying minority people who's like, I'm more into that. Yeah, I probably will too. Because it'd be I think it'd just be a better game where I don't have to worry about. Potentially seeing a player get his brain like bruised to the point where he'll kill himself in ten years. Do you? And last thing before we actually dive into the episode, um, do, if they reduce hitting and they're like, oh well, now we don't need pads or helmets anymore. I think visually that makes the game less interesting. The helmets are fucking awesome. Yeah, I think even if there's less hitting, you still have to wear helmets because they look so cool. Yeah, but it's true. Although in other sports. Like in basketball, players are recognizable by their actual appearance. That's true. That's how you get to know them. That's true. Is like what their head looks like. Their face. Like Michael Jordan. That's the true. The bald head. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't realize until I was older, by the way, how uncommon it is for people to actually wear, just go straight up shiny bald. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jordan made it iconic. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, that's, all right. that's marketing 101. It's not really marketing. It's uh, like self-branding. We went a lot of different places during this. This was good. This is a good good conversation. We did, yeah. That it was interesting. Um it's conflicting. It really is. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know exact. Well, I do know how to feel about it. It's one of those like logic versus, uh, versus emotion things. Yeah. Where like emotionally, I'm like, oh, it's fall. I like some football. Yeah. But logically, I'm like, it's killing players. And the league is corrupt. The whole culture is based around like violence and misogyny. Yeah. And it's not okay. Like racism a little bit. Yeah. 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 Or a yeah. lot of bit. Uh, probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's dive in. Sure thing. Uh, all right, ready? Three, two, one. 